It's my conviction that uh, as the Word of God is read, that uh, the people show respect for that, and I've always had people stand when I read the Word. It is God's inspired, infallible, inerrant Word. It is to be respected when Ezra opened the book of the law in the book of Nehemiah, the people stood out of reverence and respect for Scripture. So I would ask you to stand as we read from 1 Peter, and we'll read the first nine verses in this portion of Scripture. This is God's holy word. He inspired it. It is infallible, and it is inerrant. It is truth. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though tested, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though, do you not, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The grass withers and the flower fades, the word of God abides forever. Please be seated. Keep your Bibles open, if you will, as we work our way through this passage, and we'll be going to other texts as well uh, as we go through. Uh, obviously, it doesn't take much uh, to realize that uh, we're living in a challenging time. Uh, there's much that's happening in our country that demonstrates uh, just a rebellious nature toward any kind of authority. Uh, we see a lot of upheaval. Uh, we, we, we see morals eroding. It's a challenging time. We see marriage being redefined, flaunted with homosexuality. I'm a, I'm a tennis fan. And I was repulsed watching the U.S. Open, uh, which was recently played, in how they just flaunted 
a redefinition of marriage in our faces and how they politicized and championed a philosophy that seeks to undermine the authority of our culture. Guys, this is a difficult time. I, I have prayed often for, for my grandkids because I don't look forward to what they're going to have to face if the Lord does not choose to intervene. But at the same time, kind of interesting to try to ask the Lord to bless when we continue to murder a million babies a year. It's a challenging time. And as we think about that, of course, we live in the midst of it. So what does Peter have to say about it? Remember, this is Peter, that, uh, that impetuous guy who defined for us the message of the New Testament when he said, responding to Christ's question, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Of course, the tragedy of Roman Catholicism is they base the foundation on the person who said it as opposed to the message that was said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so it is this Peter who now is talking to Christians And he refers to them as exiles. In other words, as we think through the implication of being an exile, we might live here, but we are not of here. Peter's telling us, reminding us, that as Christians, brothers and sisters, we are merely passing through this. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And our life here is in the, is the time period of preparation before the Lord calls us home. We are exiles. And basically, as you read First and Second Peter, you have to always keep that in the back of your mind because that's the basis of what he's telling these folks. As you live your life in the midst of this culture, and he gave us a list of places, as you live your lives, re- please realize... This is not it. This is not your home. You are an exile. You are in, but you are not of. You are merely passing through. As we pass through, we also have to realize that we have responsibility within that context. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. We're exiles. God has chosen us. We see that as we look at the introduction to 1 Peter. Verse 2, God chose us. His foreknowledge. Please understand the sovereignty of God, not only in creation, but even in salvation. He has chosen for himself a people, not based upon anything that we were going to do or had done, 
totally on the basis of his own choice, choosing for himself a people, setting them aside to be his, and giving them a task to do. Peter also tells us, as we think of these exiles, again, looking at our text, that we are being grown by the Spirit. Okay, that's the word sanctification is, is the, uh, the, the process that begins once you have been justified and you begin your journey in the Lord Jesus Christ. And please understand uh, the beautiful illustration there is we are babes in Christ. Yeah. At that point in time that we become believers that uh, uh, we know nothing. And the Spirit guides us in that sanctification process so that we are growing in terms of what the Lord wants us to be. There's a sense in which, as we look back at each end of each year, uh, there should have been advancement in, in, in reference to our relationship with the Lord, but at the same time, guys, we're still sinners. The ideal process of sanctification is that straight line up, right? But it's more like this, but it's more like this. But it is a process of growth. And as we grow, we need to understand the responsibility that is ours to spend time in the Scripture. Because once again, even with all the good Christian books out there, and there are many, it is the Scripture that is the foundation for what we do. And who we are. We're also told, again, as we look at this introductory paragraph, that as exiles, our lives here on earth are to be lived in obedience to Jesus Christ. In the book of Colossians, Paul says, that Christ is preeminent in all things. That he literally is a king who rules and reigns. And when we become believers, he is our king. And it's our responsibility then to respond in obedience to that king. We're not earning our salvation. Remember, that's a gift, brothers and sisters, that we didn't deserve, that we couldn't earn. But our desire, and one of the neatest memory verses, and I encourage you to memorize Scripture, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the king has laid that out, Much like one of my favorite poems, Charge of the Light Brigade. The soldier's given a command. What's the soldier's response? Well, according to Alfred Lloyd Tennyson in that poem, ours is not to reason why, ours is but to do and die. We are soldiers of the great king. 
Our service needs to be unto Him and Him alone. So as we think about these three things that Peter says, as exiles, remember we're passing through, we're not to escape from culture, step out of it, become hermits, you know, flee. We're in the midst of it, and we're to seek to engage the culture in which we live. We're to seek to impact the culture in which we live. This is what Peter is calling for us to do. That we're to put forth answers from Scripture, because Scripture is truth. It speaks to every issue in life. And as we engage culture, it's the truth that we're to be uplifting. Turn, if you will, 2 Timothy. Chapter 3. Paul, the author of 2 Timothy, writing to a young man that he had discipled, a young man that he had trained for this ministry. And when you see the paragraph that, uh, 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 in which we'll look at these verses, the, uh, you know, Paul writes uh, as in terms of those who are believers, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? Because we, we, we stand for truth. We want to be what God wants us to be. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, uh, desiring and being deceived, uh, excuse me, uh, deceiving and being deceived, but as you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred things. Now, uh, interesting comment. I want to pause here. Uh, from childhood. In other places in Paul's letters to Timothy, he talks about the influence of Timothy's grandmother and mother. So here's the beautiful picture of covenantal theology being worked out in reference to from the time that that baby is born, they're growing up within the context of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They're learning Scripture, they're learning their catechism, and I say catechism only because it is based on Scripture totally. It's like a commentary on Scripture. But please understand, given a choice, Scripture. That's God's inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. And so from the very beginning, Timothy was sitting under this faithful instruction from these two women. Grandmother, and being a granddad, I appreciate the reference to the role that grandparents play. And, and grandparents don't ever overlook the role that you play in the process. But Timothy now, whom Paul had discipled, is about to enter a pastorate, and Paul tells him, 
This was great. You, you were trained from an early age. Remember what you were taught. Remember the scripture that you memorized. The verses I read before basically describe what's happening in our culture. We've got to train our children. We've got to train our, uh, our, our younger men, younger women, older men, older, older women. We've got to continue to be what God wants us to be. And we've got to train ourselves to be what God wants us to be. That's not a suggestion. We are exiles living in a foreign land. And in many ways, a foreign land that dislikes us, maybe even hates us because of what we stand for. We have to know what we believe. We have to be able to articulate what we believe. We have to be able to stand up for that which is true. Remember, we're just passing through, but still... We're to obey Christ Jesus every day, every moment, every second that he gives to us here on this journey. This is the call that is ours. This is what Peter is telling us to do. You are exiles. You're not of, but you are in. Remember the responsibility that you have Engage your culture. And he gave several different places as he worked his way through. Be faithful. Turn to 2 Peter. And we'll look at chapter 1. One of the things that's interesting is in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope I don't mess up the mic as I take this off. In the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, if there was anything special that he did, Peter, James, and John were always with him. Peter gives us the story, in, beginning in verse 16 of chapter 1, of going up on a mountain with the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, James, and John. We refer to this as the Mount of Transfiguration, because it was on this mountain that the glory of the Lord shone through the Lord Jesus Christ. Such a powerful picture. It's, it, it's hard to describe as Jesus was transfigured. And the glory of God shone through him. Confirming to these three men that yes... This is the very Son of God. And then they hear from heaven, Behold, my Son, my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. When you talk about emotional experiences, man, can you envision anything greater? Interesting. Look at verse 19. Peter says, hey, guys, as great as this emotional experience was, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention 
as to a, light, a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Scripture, from Genesis to the book of Revelation, is the very Word of God. God used the Spirit to move these individuals to write exactly what God wanted written. It is the standard then by which, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we desire to live our lives. The structure of the family is given to us within God's Word as He inspired these individuals to write exactly what God wanted written. As He made man the head of the home, as He made the woman to make man complete and to stand where? From what part of body did, from, from what part of Adam's body did He take? To make the woman. The rib. Stand side by side. As a unit. Complete. Working, to working together. To help establish culture. Because guys. The basic unit of culture is family. As the family unravels. What happens to culture? But remember, we're exiles, but we're not escapists. As exiles, we're not of this culture. We have been called to engage the culture in which we live and impact it in such a way that our service is to our great King, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Culture needs scripture. One of my favorite quotes. I may have shared it with you before, but it's worth you guys hearing again. This comes from Abraham Kuyper, one of the great reformers in the Netherlands. Uh, if you haven't read the book Lectures on Calvinism uh, by Abraham Kuyper, you need to read that. One of the greatest descriptions of the Reformed Faith. Kuiper says, One desire has been the ruling passion of my life, that in spite of all worldly opposition, okay, all worldly opposition, God's holy ordinances shall once again be in the home, in the school, and in the state to carve as it were, into the conscious of the nation, the ordinances of God to which Bible and creation bear witness until the nation pays homage again to God. Scripture. Scripture is defined by Paul, or described by Paul, as being a two-edged sword. Paul grew up 
in the midst of history. In Paul's life, the most powerful army in the world was the Roman army. One of its most effective weapons was a short two-edged sword so that when they went into hand-in-hand combat and uh, people are trying to swing these big old swords, uh, the Romans with this short sword, any way they swung it, it cut, and it was effective. So Paul compares Scripture to that. We've got to understand that Scripture is a powerful weapon. It's the preaching of the Word of God that brings about conversion. It's the preaching of the Word of God that brings about conviction that causes us to grow. Having tasted the Word, the desire is to live it out in such a way that our great King, the Lord Jesus Christ, is glorified. Ours is not to flee but to remain faithful in the battle. Yes, we are exiles, but we're not escapists. Also realize that in the battle, here again, Paul, writing in the midst of uh, uh, Roman dominance, the effectiveness of the Roman army was not a one-person domination beating everybody else up. The effectiveness of the Roman army, and historically, uh, they were probably the first professional army that existed. Therefore, they were able to train. And in that training, they created units which fought together. Think of the phalanx, which is the precursor, to, for, the, uh, precursor for the tank. Okay? When they would cross the field, this group of men would lock their shields together. And thus, you had shields on top, shields on the side, as they moved across the field. Every soldier, no matter how tall they were, no matter how long their legs were, had to step the exact distance each time. Or else what? Your shields would come apart. And the phalanx would fail in its purpose of protecting these soldiers. So as a unit, and guys, that's what the body of Christ is. And the strength of the body of Christ is not one or two super Christians. The strength of the body of Christ is God's people coming together and being what He wants us to be in terms of strengthening, strengthening each other, supporting each other, praying for each other, encouraging each other. And there are 30-some of these reciprocal verbs, the verbs that end with that phrase, one another. That's kind of a fun look. I did something here several years ago in Sunday school class with that. Hey, look them up. Pray for one another. Come alongside one another. The body of Christ is God's people coming together and supporting each other in being what God wants us to be. We can hold each other accountable. Boy, it's easier to memorize Scripture 
when somebody's going to ask me a couple days later, <laughs> let me hear the verse. As to opposed to just, well, I'll think about memorizing this. No, accountability. Also, the Roman soldier wore armor in the front, and he had a plate of armor in the back. If they needed to move quickly across the battlefield, they would also oftentimes take the armor in the back out. You're talking about 20 pounds worth of metal kind of a thing, you see. And when they would charge across the field and got into battle, they oftentimes, because they had removed this, would fight back to back. Have you ever thought about when we talk to each other sometimes and a person needs help and our phrase is, hey, I got your back. What does that mean? That in the battle, my brothers and sisters will know that I've got their back or you've got their back. In other words, guys, we're in this together. Yes, we are exiles, but we are traveling together as we seek to be what Christ, not what we want individual, as we seek to be what Christ wants us to be. Please understand, one of the greatest defeats in the Roman army, in fact, this day in the Tuturon Forest in Germany, they lost three legions. Three legions. Because the Roman general ordered his troops to go into the forest to find the Germans. What did he do? He took the greatest strength of the Roman soldier fighting as a unit and he sent him into the forest where they could not form up. And for three days, the Germans were just picking them off one by one by one. The body of Christ must function together as we travel as exiles through this world. None of us can make it on our own. None of us can stand without protecting our backs. The body of Christ together as we're on this journey. Peter goes on to say in, in this context, we're back to uh, this first chapter, that we're going to have various trials. Now, there are going to be challenges. Turn in your Bibles, turn back to that if you would. Uh, verse 6, where he says, In this you rejoice, even though you have various trials. Life will be tough. 
But remember Peter said, in this you rejoice. On this, ex- uh, on this journey, as exiles, there are going to be challenges. Well, what's he talking about? Okay, Good exegesis takes us back up to verse 3, which leads up to the statement, in this you rejoice. Okay, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So number one is the reality that we have a living hope because on that third day in that tomb, what happened? The Pharisees tried to cover it up. But Christ conquered as he rose from the grave. When he saw Thomas, what did he have Thomas do? Remember, Jesus had appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. So Jesus leaves and Thomas shows up later and said, the disciples, we saw him, he was here, he was here. Oh, come on, guys. You're just too emotional about this. That won't happen. I've got to see his hands. I've got to touch his side. What was the Lord Jesus Christ doing when he told Thomas, look at my hands. Look at my side. Brothers and sisters, the significance of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is that very same individual who was dead on that cross and who was laid in that tomb. Now he told his disciples this was going to happen, but being frail individuals like we, they ran and hid. They were in dismay. He was dead. That third day, he conquered death. Thus, the glorious hope that is ours, and this is what Peter's talking about here, the glorious hope that is ours, the living hope that is ours, even in the midst of all of these struggles, Christ is alive. Jesus Christ reigns. That's truth. Jesus Christ was raised from the grave. That's why he spent time with his disciples. Guys, ghosts don't eat. You can't sit down with a ghost and converse and talk and spend time together. He was with his disciples to confirm for them that yes, the very same person who was placed in that tomb is right here with you now, alive. You have a glorious hope because I have conquered death. Now keep in mind, all the saints in the Old Testament looked forward to what was going to happen. New Testament, we look back to what did happen. But guys, same Jesus 
The Old Testament saints were not saved by some other means. They believed in the promise of the coming of Jesus Christ and that he was going to be the Messiah. We look back to the fact that he came and he did. So born again to a living hope. We have an inheritance, Peter says. So while we're going through this journey here on this earth, struggling with all the things of life, never lose sight of the fact that we have a glorious inheritance. It will be ours at some point in time. That's the beauty of an inheritance. But look how our inheritance is described. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. However many days God has for this earth. However many days before Jesus Christ returns and history as we know it comes to an end. The significance of this imperishable, undefiled, and unfading will never change. Christ was raised from the grave. Therefore we have hope. A living hope. So no matter the struggles that we go through here on this exile, we know that we can rejoice in this inheritance. Thirdly, as Peter describes what's going on, it's kept in heaven for us who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Brothers and sisters, the Lord knows exactly what's going on in our lives. The Lord is not distance away from us. He guards us. He watches over us. Our inheritance is sure. Because it is being guarded by God's power. Keep in mind, He's the one who sent us on this journey. He's the one who has called us to Himself on this journey. He's the one who equips us on this journey as exiles. And He's the one who has given us a task. Yeah, we're just passing through. But we are to redeem the time that the Lord has given to us. Whether it's five years, whether it's 29 years, whether it's 69 years, whatever it is. Even as exiles, every day, every moment of that journey is to be lived in a fellowship with our great Lord and in the service of our great King. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we do pray for the courage and the strength and the wisdom to be those exiles who are seeking to serve faithfully. Faithfully within a world that is lost, within a culture that's going in a multitude of different directions, all leading to destruction. 
And Father, if it be your will, we pray even for a reformation as the word would be held forth and the power of Jesus Christ would be demonstrated as men, women, children come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for us in particular and the role that we play as exiles that we would be faithful seizing ministry opportunities not just outside in the culture but Father, even, even within us as a group for we are a body, the body of Christ. We hurt and we need help to, keep, to continue faithfully in the battle so help us there too, Father. And whatever we do, we pray that it would be for your glory and your glory alone. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.